Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hi, I'm Mark Groves. I'm a human connection specialist and founder of Create the Love. At an early point in my life, I became obsessed with understanding relationships, the intricacies of how people connect. And through this exploration, I have created a life and a business dedicated to learning out loud and exploring how we interact with each other and the world. This podcast brings the world's top thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, physicians, scientists, researchers, best-selling authors, and health and wellness experts under one roof to discuss the good, the bad, the messy, and of course, the beautiful parts of the human experience. Welcome to the Mark Groves Podcast. I can't wait to dive in with you. As the world opens up, I have found myself traveling a lot more for work, which means, of course, that I'm in more airports. And I don't know about you, but the quality of food in airports and on airplanes is kind of suspect generally, yes, almost all the time. And so what I do is I've been traveling with the Organifi Green Juice Travel Packs. That way I get the nutrition that I need, I get the energy level, and all it does is take 30 seconds. I just rip open a pack, mix it with water, and it tastes delicious, which I know is not what we normally expect from a green juice. So if this sounds like something you need in your busy life, go to Organifi.com slash create the love to save 25% off not just the green juice, but anything from Organifi. So that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash create the love. Go check it out. I'm super pumped for the podcast today. I've got Chase and Mimi and I, I was going to do an intro, but I was thinking like, I probably can't even do service to the, <laughs> what people are going to hear about today. Like we're connected through Organifi and other ways, which obviously full alignment there. And so let's get into it. Yeah. Can let's you? It. Yeah. It's sort of, it's like sort of like, like, you know, it's sort of introduce yourself. Right. No, it's sort of like when we show up to now family events, like, yeah. uh, you know, weddings and things where they know our story that we were childhood sweethearts and got divorced and now we're back together. And they'll be like, hey, this is Chase and his um, yeah. ex-wife, part, but they like each other now. So They're re-wife and re-wife. Right. Re-wife. No, wife part two. Yeah. Spiritual we wife. We are complete soul matches 
who in this world, in this lifetime, have uh, considered ourselves childhood sweethearts. Uh, we got married in our early 20s. We got divorced, completely went our separate ways, uh, and then organically, call it God, call it divine intervention, call it just aligned purpose, uh, you know, reconciled and found each other again and uh, decided to talk about it, talk about these these things we call the, the real medicines of this life uh, in podcast mm-hmm. format. I've been doing this about two years, um, heavily involved in, in the medicinal mushroom space as well. That's kind of what, what our core uh, alignment that brought us back together was. And so uh, we're doing this passion-driven, heart-centered. What do you got, babe? Yeah, um, I I would say I mean that was beautiful. I don't need, I don't think I need to add anything to it. But um, yeah, we're we are learning and discovering and uncovering, uh, peeling back the layers of ourselves and just pushing record and letting others in on it. And um, you know, we we like to say that we're not you know we might be one or two steps ahead than the people that we're speaking to, or or not even you know right there neck and right. neck. Um, but I think when we lean into that which is us and our connection, and then also share it authentically with people. Um, that's the the valleys and the highs. That's everything. Um, we choose to sort of live our lives as an open book, which can be scary sometimes. But mm-hmm. the response has been overwhelmingly positive all around. And it just is like rocket fuel for our hearts. That's like, okay, this is something that we need to keep doing because... You know, like the people that we speak to are people that grew up like us who kind of followed this, this, uh, mainstream script of happiness and maybe are in their late twenties, thirties, maybe early forties. And they're kind of like looking around and like, I did all the, the right things, quote unquote. Mm. Why am I not like super happy? Why don't, don't I feel like super fulfilled? You know, my partner is fine, but, but is this it? You know, and it's yeah. so easy to get there and kind of like not even know how you got there um, because you did all the right things. And so that's kind of where we got to. We actually split and then through um, our own self-development uh, came back together. And I'm sure we'll, we'll get into the details of the story. But um, yeah, so we are just allowing, inviting anyone who wants to come along in this journey of discovery to come with us and really, you know, intentionally, proactively create a life that they love. Yeah, like, I have so many thoughts on all those things. One, I acknowledge you both for the willingness to sort of love out loud in a lot of ways and uh, witness the allow people to witness the the beautiful messiness, uh, and whatever even that means of of actual connection, of actual love. And, you know, it's interesting when you say, like, we're so used to, we're, we sort of did all the things that we're supposed to do, and then we end up in this place, and we're like, why don't I feel the way I was told I was going to feel when I got here? And what's wrong with me that I don't feel that way, rather than are these circumstances potentially not a match? And perhaps my own behaviors are obviously contributing to that too. But it shows you that what we're supposed to do is, you know, when we think relationally, for the majority of people is actually not conducive to like truthful, honest, connective, you know, even this idea that you're together for 10 years, for example, and that actually being the sign of success rather than, I mean, I know lots of people who have been together for 
five, ten plus years who really don't have connection anymore. Yeah. Not like yeah. they're not liberated by their relationship. And in some ways, they're sort of in prison. Like they just totally. Sort of, um, yeah, and and so I'm curious. Childhood sweethearts. That that. <laughs> Like, okay, walk us through this love <laughs> yeah. story that ends in destruction and then yeah. unification. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'll, and I'll give you the, uh, as much as I can, the abridged version. I'm a we're, long, long-winded. we're long-winded suckers, so I apologize yeah, too, if we start ranting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're childhood sweethearts, like suburban America, like middle-class Disney kids of the 90s, you know, <laughs> you know that level of like childhood yeah. romance where, uh, you know, we, we literally met as teenagers, uh, started dating when we were 15, 16 years old, Megan was my first kiss, my first girlfriend. And, uh, we, we grew up in a, in a evangelical Christian environment, um, dated throughout high school, throughout college. And as such, as encouraged in that environment is like, Hey, you should probably, you know, get married before you guys live together. And Especially so before having sex. Yeah, definitely. Before you do any, yeah, yeah. anything before you get into heavy petting. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they called it. I have a more, uh, Catholic background, mm. but I've, I have enough Christian and yeah. Mormon friends to know yeah. that you know I mean, it I got well. a similar message. Yeah. 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 yeah Were so, you guys part of the purity movement too? Uh, uh, we, more like the guilt movement. Right. It wasn't so much about <laughs> yeah. purity. It was more about like guilt and pregnancy. <laughs> there, there were a couple yeah. attempts. Yeah, I had it similar. You know, a couple attempts that I think we were actually given, you know, V cards, like virginity <laughs> cards that we would have to um, sign. Not the other kind. Right. Right. And, uh, they were, yeah, the original V cards, uh, yeah, to sign and commit our, ourselves to each other or, or to God before, before marriage, uh, that we would save ourselves. And it didn't last long. Uh-huh. I mean, we were teenagers, which is part of the beautiful part of all of this is like, we just got to learn about love in a really, really safe, uh, contained safe. environment. No trauma. Um, it was a beautiful childhood romance. It was summers at the lake. Um, it was just complete bliss. And we stepped into marriage thinking that this would just continue like, all right, let's just keep doing this thing. Um, so we get married in our early twenties. Uh, we start our sort of adult life, professional career. Uh, we moved to Seattle, Washington. We're from Spokane and, uh, I jump in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Yeah. 509 represent. (laughs) Um, and I jumped into a financial consulting career, uh, started traveling all over the place. I'm on an airplane every Monday and Friday and we're just hit with a freaking baseball bat to the face of adult shit. Mm -hmm. It's bills. It's. The fact that we're in debt, you know, we're sitting on student loan debt. It's the fact that we're navigating being apart all week long and then having to establish this marriage relationship on, you know, two days a week on the weekend. And slowly over time, our relationship and our physical and spiritual health just started deteriorating. Yeah. I I mean, I would say we, we didn't, aside from like the pure love that is so childlike and like we felt at such a young age that was just our fuel for the relationship, which is so perfect, um, that once you step into adulthood, you're out of the child archetype, so to speak. And adulting is hard. And we didn't have, mm-hmm. we didn't have any sort of spiritual connection. Like even though we grew up in the church together, there was no like, existential talk. There was no like talking about our soul or our spirit or anything like that. It was, it was very kind of surface level and then pile on the stresses of basically a long distance marriage, um, five days a week for half the year is really, really hard on a a new marriage. And, and, um, I was facing my own self-love journey of like, 
I won't get super into it, but um, just really faced with the opportunity, which I was failing at sort of miserably of uh, stepping into my own like independence and self-love and whatever that looked like. And I was, you know, there was a, a codependency that was sort of established when we were very young. And um, that didn't necessarily, we didn't graduate out of that as soon as we got married. And so I felt like I was unhappy and I didn't know why. I didn't really know how to like turn inward and be like, what is what's the thing behind the thing now? Like, why am I actually crying? And so I just got really, you know, separated from any sort of center, from any sort of balanced soul, you know, intuitive space that I I like to be in touch with now. I didn't have that at all. And we had zero, exactly zero tools for healthy and effective communication in relationship even though we had premarital counseling, even though we had stable examples of godly marriage, <laughs> I'm using a lot of air quotes. Yeah. Um, we didn't, we, we didn't really have any tools. And so when things get hard and you don't know how to use your voice effectively in a way that your partner will be able to kind of metabolize and digest, uh, rather, you know, it's more of just like a spewing volcano of emotion doesn't get received very well. And little by little, we started to separate from each other. And it got, you know, it got really bad. And um, I was completely removed from from any center. And I basically got to the point, long story short, I got to the point where I was so unbalanced that I was basically convinced I had convinced myself that I was unhappy because of Chase because something in our relationship wasn't giving back to me the way that I needed. And I must have just chosen wrong, <laughs> basically. Oh, wow. So I had basically convinced myself that we needed a separation. And we had planned to move down to San Diego. San Diego was was supposed to be kind of like the shining beacon of hope <laughs> for us. You yeah. know, Chase got a, 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 tran, a transfer from Spokane or from Seattle. And we had an apartment. We had everything. Two weeks before I told him, I'm not going. I can't go. Wow. And you should still go because if this doesn't work out, I don't want you to also lose your job. So mm. I painted this picture. It is basically like an ultimatum. So Chase moves down to San Diego and starts his life down here. I'm still up in Seattle and we spend three years apart and, and, uh, and to, was, to really support bad. you, you know, to support you, this wasn't just a, an entirely, you know, entirely Megan decision or reason for the split. Over the course of those three years that we were actually married, there was an expression of myself that I didn't even know existed. You know, we're, we're programmed as kids in all these particular ways. There's almost like buttons installed. And some of those buttons, like the adult buttons, don't ever get pressed <laughs> until you start walking into adult yeah. life, right? Yeah. So, like, all of a sudden... Especially you get... if your adults in your life are not necessarily adulting. Exactly. Yeah. So, you get those buttons yeah. pressed at, you know, 24 years old, first year of marriage, and you're like, oh, wow, that's the tyrannical yeah. asshole button. <laughs> yeah. And, and these, these things that... I'm, I'm a gentle human being. I'm a gentle masculine. Yet, this version of masculinity that was being expressed was this... this tyrant who was upset about you know the grocery list not being executed properly like what mm -hmm. and so the, the the container in the home of and, and the early family of our our marriage was never safe which is this pillar of masculinity now that i realize is so 
incredibly important. It was never safe. It's not that it was abusive, but it was never, Megan was never safe to be herself, to figure out who she was, to evolve into something new. And so there was so much of this that, that death by a thousand cuts over the course of three years led up to what ultimately became this, this split. Yeah. Look, I like to get my greens on the go. I don't want to compromise on quality. I want to get organic. I want non-GMO. I want all the things. And my favorite product from Organifi will never cease to be the green juice. And now they have a green apple flavor, which kicks ass. I think I can say that. But it kicks ass. It's so good. And it's so easy. You just take a glass of water, take a scoop of green juice, or you take the travel packs. They're great to travel with. You open it up, you put it in the water, you mix it, and then bam, you've got a green juice without the mess, without all that stuff. And you're getting all the nutrients that all these superfoods that are in the green juice provide. So go check it out. Go to Organifi.com slash create the love and you save 20% at checkout. So that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash create the love. And they have tons of amazing products. So go check it out and go save 20%. I'm curious uh, how much overlap, and I'm, I'm imagining there's quite a bit of your Christian upbringing and like the the sort of story we're taught in Catholicism too, that, you know, you've got this old white guy with a beard in the sky, as my friend calls him, sky daddy. And... <laughs> You've got this sort of deity that decides whether you're good or bad. It's also a man. And then a lot of, not to mention priests, and they're only generally allowed to be men depending on the construct of the of the religion. But that's more true than it's not. And so I'm curious, like, how unconsciously those things or what informed, like, for you, finding your voice and do you prefer Mimi or Megan? Megan is my birth name. Mimi is sort of a, a nickname. Instagram, Mimi. like the podcasting world knows me as Mimi. So I go by both. It doesn't either right. one. They're completely interchangeable. Awesome. <clears throat> okay. So like for you, where you observed your voice or voices not being used by, let's say, women in general. Mm-hmm. And then for you, Chase, like where that that dynamic was modeled for you maybe beyond the church, but also how those things influence. Cause I think so many people listening are experience that specific structure, especially in heterosexual relationships. Yeah. And both of them are this invitation to like one, as you said, chase to create safety and sort of be an anchor to safety because I, at least in my experience, a lot of women don't trust safety because it's either been taken advantage, like it's been used to take advantage of, or they've just, if you look up the maternal arm, there's never been really true emotional safety. And so to like finally get to a place where it is, you're like, mm, is this a trick? Cause I'm pretty yeah. sure they burned women after <laughs> they set this up, you know? Yeah. I mean, that is the, I, I think the eternal <laughs> dilemma of the feminine is, am I too much? Are my emotions too much? Is what I'm feeling too much? And I told myself this story for, for years that any extra emotional burden sharing with Chase was only going to add to his stress bucket. So I, 
you know, I, I just suppressed. Yeah. And, and we are taught that, um, you know, growing up in the church. I mean, there, I don't know what verse it is, but it is, you know, wives submit to your husbands. And I think that Wait, that's what that's actually a verse. <laughs> it's like, Oh, really? It's too close. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's exactly wives submit to your husbands. And, and I did not there's more to this. it. That was not part of my education. But <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Um, it's, that's Honor basically, and obey, I guess, is a vow. Yeah. Um, but I think it's followed a little too closely sometimes in the church where the woman is not connected to her intuition because she's told it to shut up for so long. And wow. your voice doesn't actually have a chance to come out because you don't want, you're choosing to not be connected to it. Um, now it, it does take some, res- some level of responsibility on the feminine to not just spew whatever comes into her and, and claim that it's intuition, but I, I wasn't doing anything. So I would, I would get these cues like, I'm unhappy. I'm sad. I'm depressed. I don't like our, you know, living arrangement with us being apart, but I would just, you know, the story I was telling myself was that I just needed to be a better wife and suppress what I wanted so that I could support him until it got to the point where I literally couldn't suppress it anymore and it would explode and I would word vomit or, or projectile tears at him or just spew, you know, nastiness. And, uh, it just wasn't a healthy dynamic. But yes, it, it definitely was rooted in that, that, subliminal, subliminal, subconscious, whatever you want to call it, teaching from the church that's like, you need to submit. Wow. I did not know about that verse. And yeah, please, Chase. Yeah, no. And, and so many, you know, similarities. I actually left uh, the faith, if you will, um, in college. And so I got to college and started, you know, studying history, religions and, and psychology, sociology and theology and was, was actually, um, had enough for me to actually leave the faith altogether. And so that had actually become a problem in the relationship because of both of our, our communities and both of our family dynamics. That was one attribute to the, the, the separation that was, uh, forming. I was complete scientific materialist and, and Megan, although not necessarily a practicing Christian still maintained the ideas of God and Jesus and and things of that nature. That being said, my entire upbringing was modeled as far as like the adults and the authority figures that I, that were in my life. They were completely based in, in similar, you know, archetypical structures of Christianity or Catholicism or just traditional, you know, monotheism. And so for me, what I had seen modeled in masculinity and what I was just easily stepping into was this, this uber in like enforcer, hard worker, um, you know, it's an attempt to be an authority figure. And so what showed up in our marriage probably, you know, far too often was this authority figure of, hey, this is where we're going to live. This is how we're going to do it. I'll manage the finances. This is, you know, what the expectation is of a, of a husband and an expectation of a wife. I had a mm-hmm. defined definition of what a partner in, in the form of a wife needs to look like. And that was, it wasn't this conscious thing that I journaled about and wrote about. It was just like yeah. in my nervous system. And so yeah. when, when Megan was changing, that was somehow a threat to me or it felt like a threat because of the, the unknown of what she could potentially be. And that, that, that scared me, I think, although not knowing it. Um, so for me, like, I was just sitting in those patterns and those groomed runs of what was, you know, programmed in me, not taking the perspective of the observer and just 
evaluating what was coming up for me and why, you know, I was dealing with stress and this new career and pursuing my own purpose and mission and, and vision, gentle, being a gentle human being, but thrust into this environment of, of, uh, very corporate driven, profit driven, long hours, late nights, and had just dealt with this energy of, of, uh, tension in a way that would potentially be uh, the opposite of love, the opposite of safety back in the family dynamic, back in our, our marriage. And so for me, it was this, you know, it's like masculinity in, in that environment has this expectation of, of the feminine, like you need to be sexy and then you also need to be nurturing and you can't really do anything else. Like, like <laughs> you, if need... you don't figure out that balance, right. it's going to affect our sex life yeah. and it's your fault. Yeah. So we're clear. <laughs> Even psychotherapists like back in the fifties, were taught, and if you look at the history of sort of sex and desire and stuff like that, they were actually saying if a woman came with a desire issue, that it, she was sort of informed that if she left the relationship, she'd still have the problem because it was her, mm. which is crazy to think like, and again, no one's fault because that's all training and that's all programming and it's all the systems support each other, you know? So, so fascinating that you say that because I find that's so much of how do you, that's not that long ago, right? yeah. you know, from an evolutionary perspective, that's our, our parents, that's some people who are listening. That's our grandparents. You know, mm -hmm. I'm honored if some grandparents who are in their eighties are listening to this. Yeah. yeah let's go. <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of a recipe for this, this split. So I went my separate ways, uh, or we went our separate ways. I, I moved on to San Diego and I, instead of, you know, looking in the mirror and evaluating anything, I just double down on everything I was doing. So I'm working twice as hard. I'm trying to make as much money as possible. I'm getting in the best shape I possibly can. You know, it's like I'm 26 and single in Southern California. Like, let me give this thing a try. No longer a Christian. No yeah. longer a Christian. Right. Um, and I just go hard in the paint. I wanted to say too, like, it's, isn't it so beautiful that that although it doesn't feel like it when you're in it and for the people listening, if you're like in the space they're talking about or in the separation space that, cause that's so many of the questions that Kai and I got when we broke up and then when we were in that space and then we call it relationship 2.0 and we call that space in between. She calls it that she's the one with good words. She was, she calls it the sacred pause. Oh, you know, I, I love that. that. Wow. And isn't it beautiful that connection that is so powerful, like love, even though it might break us apart, both individually and collectively, it is so powerful because it is the thing that is actually trying to liberate us from the boxes we've been put in and yeah. the yeah. gender behaviors and the whatever it is, like, this is what a wife is. This is what a husband is. This is what a man is. This is what a woman is. But that love, like for both of you, although it like broke you apart, it really mm -hmm. said, you must figure out how to get out of yeah. this yeah. like ingrained, uh, inherited way of being. I yeah. mean, I just am always in such reverence for that experience. Although I know the fucking pain of it yeah. is incredible it's because all of a sudden hard. you look back on your life and you're like, there were so many lies that I was told. Mm -hmm. And that for me created a lot of anger and a lot of grief. And it still does. Cause I think of like how many people are living stories that they've been told to live yeah yeah absolutely. yeah and then we're attached to those labels like we're afraid of who we are without those labels it can be something as simple as like i'm an athlete i'm a, a financial professional i'm a husband and you know got half of the the turmoil of the divorce was just being divorced and having the label of being divorced oh. it, it was just especially in those communities absolutely mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so we're apart. And, and like I said, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make this the worst decision you ever made, Megan. I'm going to be super successful. I'm going to freaking kill it. And I'm going to show you, I'm not going to shed a tear. You know, I had a pretty hardcore cry when this all happened and then I just completely buried it. And, uh, I go year and a half hard in San Diego. And of course I run into a massive brick wall. Uh, some call it adrenal fatigue or adrenal exhaustion, but I lose 25, 30 pounds in the course of a month. Um, completely, you know, anemic hormones, completely bottomed out. And I just hit a wall. I compartmentalized so much emotional uh, trauma from the divorce. I'd been working myself uh, to the ground, working out on top of that, very active social life. And, uh, you know, the pain teacher starts, starts silently, uh, but shows up pretty loud if you don't listen to it. And I absolutely hit a brick wall, had to completely, I changed my career. I left consulting and, and uh, joined Organifi, as you, as you know, um, and started getting into this health and wellness space. I was like, shit. All these, all these, you know, mainstream steps of, of being successful and being healthy have just kicked my ass. How do I do this the right way? And I jump into podcasts, um, you know, a lot of shared friends I'm sure we have in the space who are great teachers, Drew Canoli being one of them. Um, I start to learn about adaptogens and superfoods and, and oddly enough, medicinal mushrooms, which, which have become such a passion, um, as they, and they healed my body in addition to just changing community, changing mindset, learning about you know, the masculine and the feminine teachers like John Wineland, David Data, just critically yeah. important to my John own. John Wineland is such a, and the way of the superior man, I remember when I first read it, I was just like, why did no one get this book? It's funny. Like yeah. if I had known she doesn't want me to solve her problem, that would have saved me <laughs> right. a lot of work and a lot of frustration for her. Yeah. Oh man. It was like, and then meeting John Wineland, Oh, he's such a good human. He's oh. such a good teacher. He and was I my podcast. He's, oh, mm. I listened to that, and yeah. I was just oh man, he's he has a special place in my heart because he was really the first. I went to his first women's workshop in um, where was it in Santa Santa Clara and Santa Barbara? No, Santa Monica. And uh, after that, after that experience, being around that type of male energy, where he was grounded yet in touch with his emotions and his feelings and able to articulate them in a calm and direct way, I was like, oh, fuck, I'm not going to be happy unless I'm with a John Wineland man. I knew from that workshop that I was like screwed if I didn't, you know, because you experience it and just learning, just dipping your toes into the masculine and feminine Uh, work and dynamic. It honestly feels like a secret to the universe where your equal parts fascinated and angry. I love this so much, but also why the fuck didn't anyone teach this to me in premarital counseling? He gave me such permission to express these other versions of masculinity that I didn't think were allowed, you know, for it was alpha, you know, pound your chest, wolf pack. You're with the boys, you're with the dogs, you're highly successful. You're driven. Um, that's like one small little attribute of masculinity. And that's pretty, a pretty toxic version. There's all these other really gentle versions. And John gave me the permission to be able to express things that I'd felt and buried. Um, so yeah, yeah. So completely wild, but, but that was kind of like my version. And then oddly enough on a, an yeah. invisible string of something, Megan is going through very similar yeah. patterns, um, when we're apart. Yeah. We had ex- basically exactly mirrored experiences, hit a brick wall, hormonal, just 
hell, basically. And um, my hair was falling out. My face was blowing up in cystic acne. I had a rash on half my body. Couldn't digest any food. But I was a health coach. Um, and I really had to stop, you know, another, you know, this sacred pause within the sacred pause of like, I need to get healthy. <laughs> Something's not right. And, uh, so I actually moved back home at 28 years old, back in with, uh, my mom and, and her husband. And I had a year of just really intentional slowing down and, and really developing a relationship with what I know now is my intuition, but it started within, you know, studying Jesus and how did Jesus actually live? What did the character yeah. Jesus, how did he treat people? How did he treat himself? How did he treat his friends? How did he, you know, all of this. And, uh, it snowballed into just, um, this hunger to learn more about how do you do a relationship right? How is it done right? And, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't get enough once I, once I, once I tasted it, I couldn't get enough. And, um, and then simultaneously, like working on healing my body seems like oftentimes, certainly for us, and I'm sure you've, you've maybe experienced this to some degree and hear about it, um, all the time, I'm sure. But oftentimes for people to really go deeper within themselves, they have to, get out of the hell hole that is their physical health. They have to kind yeah. of clear away some of the cobwebs to really go through the tunnel that's in here. It's like, I just need to like feel better and like be able to digest food would be nice. And so figuring out yeah, your physical right. health kind of primes your nervous system, creating this relationship with yourself, kind of this trial and error. Does that work for me? No, it doesn't. Oh, what about this? Yeah, that kind of worked. Okay, I'm going to try that. And and you don't really know it at the time, but you are getting used to this process of trying things on and seeing if it works for you and you know, treating yourself with some level of compassion as you're working through some of these physical health issues. And that was certainly the case for both of us, for sure. And uh, in this whole process of, of trying to get healthy on a physical level, I was studying and teaching about medicinal mushrooms. So I'm a dental hygienist by degree, and I had stepped away from that to really, you know, follow this intuitive calling that I was like, I don't know why I just feel called to teach about this thing, you know, medicinal mushrooms. And, and there's so many people people suffering. And it seems like it's, you know, kind of uh, like they don't have to be and like, I want to help them. So that when, when Chase talks about, you know, it's part of kind of like a cornerstone of our story was it really opened up the the door of just being friends was talking about these wild things that were medicinal mushrooms. And that kind of just opened this door of being friendly to each other and compiling that on top of a year plus of doing our own kind of self-development work, um, getting us to this more balanced place where we could actually, you know, really wish well for each other. Um, and then we organically met up at a health food conference in Anaheim in 2019. And it was simultaneously like, okay, I know you better than anyone, but also who are you? Because I'm seeing this like bright, <laughs> shiny version of the man that I married, but didn't divorce. Right. So like he was not the same version of the man that I divorced, nor was I the same version of the woman that you know, divorced him or whatever. And so it was like, who are you? It was kind of like Castaway. Cool. You know, when he yeah. comes back and he he knows her, he knows Helen Hunt, but he's also like, you've lived this whole life. Who are you? It, that's, that's really what it yeah. felt like. Yeah. It's ironic too, because you think of like the 
post-divorce, like I'm going to crush it, get fit, <laughs> yeah. make more money, get more power, you know, whatever it is. And, and of course, everybody can go through that, like using the breakup as this, like, I'm going to, I'm going to go deeper into the things that society teaches me are yeah. valuable about a yeah. woman or a yeah. man or a person. And to see like the true attraction, the true was actually found in like, authentic self-expression, unconditional love, stepping into spaces of healing. And yeah, that's so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It was divine. I mean, divine timing. Cause if it would have been a year earlier, we would have been completely different people, you know? And so, you know, we, we spend three to get three days together at this expo. And by the third day we're hanging out like in the parking lot and I grab her face and kiss her on the mouth and just <laughs> say, I love you. Stare, stare at her in the eyes. And, uh, I didn't know, you know, it wasn't like some, you know, how to pick up a ex-wife steps one, two, three move. <laughs> uh, or any game, right. like manipulative game. Yeah, it wasn't or... a manipulative game. And it was just like this divine channel of, of you know, the love expression. Yeah. Uh, and shit, long story short, six months later, uh, Megan moves down to San Diego. And we start what we call our part two, uh, which we have been now back together three years. Almost three years, yeah. Wow. And what was your experience uh, when he kissed you? Oh, it was the best kiss of my life because it was, <laughs> he first just grabbed my face gently, but intentionally and looked in my eyes for about 30 seconds, which is a long time to yeah. stare at someone in the eyes, especially when emotions are so raw. We had spent two hours prior to this talking and connecting in my little rental car, um, you know, crying and, and talking through things that we didn't even talk about, you know, in marriage or in, in our divorce, you know, we're, we're raw and open and real and balanced enough to, to where we're not blaming each other and just taking, you know, ownership of like, fuck, I'm so sorry. That was so messed up. I'm so sorry. I hurt you that way. And really kind of bonding through that. It, it was very platonic at that point. I mean, there was definitely some like sizzle, but it wasn't like we were making out in the car or anything. It was just like, I see you. I feel you. I'm here. Like, I, I see you again. And kind of like an avatar when they're like, I see you. Um, yeah. And that's like their way to say, I love you basically. And so. I was, emotions were very raw and real in that moment. And when he grabbed my face, I didn't know it at the time, but he was searching. He was searching for me, like the person that he married, fell in love with at 16. And now like you could tell, like wanted to love, but was searching for the version of me that, um, that was me, you know, not the version that he divorced. And, and it's it is disarming as a woman to have a conscious strong um balanced man like stare at you in the eyeballs like holy crap um it's hard to not look away or close your eyes but we stayed in it and uh yeah when he kissed me i knew that it was it wasn't just some like fuck boy move it was like <laughs> this is this is for real i don't know what's going to happen after this but this is real and we're in anaheim literally disneyland is in like a hundred yards away, fireworks. Like, yeah. I don't know if we, if you could have like a better <laughs> sign timing. from the universe yeah, yeah. than that, but it was a very, very raw, real moment. And, um, it was, uh, yeah, the best kiss of my life for sure. <laughs> wow. That's so awesome. And to, when you look back at the part of departure 
and you can't possibly see what is about to happen. I always think of a quote from Abraham Hicks where she says, whenever you wish for something like a beautiful relationship, be mindful because the universe is going to do everything it needs to get you yeah. to the place where you become the person yeah. who is ready and able to show up for that. And I think that was, you know, very similar experience for Kylie and I, like in the separation, there was the, in the separation itself, the leaving was the recl the reclamation of each of ourselves, which mm -hmm. was, or at least the beginning or continued, I'd say continued journey of that. And it was kind of like one of the final straws, you know, and I think in love, it's so powerful because it says, like, can I love me and love you even if you don't choose this? And I remember standing in the kitchen talking to her and saying, like, this is what I want. Whether you choose it or not, I still love you. Mm. But like, you have to choose. And I remember her saying she chose it, but really, I we stayed in sort of similar circumstances. And it was when I you know, we finally got to the point where we've done all the things we could, and yet we were still not able to find that sort of synchronicity. And you realize that um, those sacred pauses are needed to go on the journey that you wouldn't go on if you were in relationship still. And it is, it it's sad to me, but also in a way, like, I get it, that we in sort of the original constructs of relationship, and I'll speak more personally for myself as a man, is I didn't really want, I didn't know this, but unconsciously, I didn't want my partner fully self-expressed when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Like, I was afraid of her full self-expression. And I think in a way, and I'm just sort of thinking about this as I'm saying it, so please, if you're listening, Grace is always requested. Uh, I think that that was because I wasn't fully self-expressed. And so I would resent someone who was able to fully do that. And I look back at all the sort of subtle ways, because I was a master of language and a master of, I mean, I was in sales too. Yeah, so I knew how to manipulate on a very unconscious level to protect myself from yeah, a powerful woman. And I was saying the other day when I was giving a talk in Austin, which thank God for in-person things again. Yeah. But I was saying that like, but I was saying I was so terrified of a woman, like a woman who could actually see me, who could actually love me. And it makes me emotional to think about mm. because the woman who came back, came back is probably the wrong term, but like stepped forward yeah. and met me was a woman. And I was like, yeah, it's time. Like you've been running from these ladies your whole life. And, uh, it's such an act, it was such an act of, uh, healing to be able to receive that and also stand in admiration of her power and realize that the more powerful she was, the more powerful our connection was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that there wasn't this exchange where I thought if she was more powerful, I was less powerful. Like how fucked up yeah. is that? Dude, you know? it, it resonates so deeply what you're mm -hmm. saying and you've articulated it perfectly. That was us. Exactly. Um, this, I talked a little bit about it earlier, but like, I was almost afraid to see this changing Megan or this, this process that she was trying to find herself. And I think it was because this, this deep knowing that it would be really powerful and it's, mm. it's, and it was, that was scary to me even to be able to step into that container to be able to hold this. Can I hold this? Can I be safe enough for this? And I think that's, 
you know, in this part two, so the bliss moments from the past three years are these times when I've surrendered to the power of the feminine. I'm strong. I'm stable. I'm confident. It's this like penetrating safety where you're the stage and she's the dancer or, or the, yeah. you know, the fireplace to the fire. It's this beautiful polarity that is when two or more are gathered combined so much greater than we could ever be individually and surely so much greater than the transactional here's what I'll do for you. Here's what you do for me type relationship that we sort of started out with, uh, in our marriage. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of the Alison Armstrong quote. <laughs> she says, uh, both partners will either be strong or both partners will be weak. That's the only way that it works. And, uh, yeah. I think she uses the word powerful, not strong. Um, and it, it's so true. Um, I think, you yeah. know, just listening to you sharing a little bit about you and Kylie's story. Um, and, and certainly this is true for us as well, but it's almost like the, the level of depth that is potentiated in your connection to Kylie must be met with the same level of depth inside yourself. So if you're yeah. not willing to go deep within yourself, you're probably not going to have a very deep relationship. You're probably not going to have a very deep connection to your partner because everything is viewed through the lens that is us, right? So like if we're not practiced at really assessing and evaluating and, and you know, being, um, being motivated to really like peel back the layers of ourselves and, and still with compassion, you're not going to be able to do that with your partner. And so then it turns into this competition, one upping, like you're powerful, but I'm more powerful, but I'm going to do this. And you, and it's this like kind of, um, uh, competition versus this co-creation that you can, that is so deep and wonderful and powerful in a relationship. But you see that so much in relationship is, is people wanting to one up their partner and yeah. by that little, you know, eight seconds of feeling powerful, you are really um, keeping your connection to a surface level potentiation. Yeah. You're agreeing to it. Like you're agreeing to it. And I think that can be the challenging part of relational especially dynamics considering gender and power and all the history there's so much and and all the intersections that create that and to really just you know i think one of the first personal growth programs i ever went to i remember hearing like everything in your life got there because you said yes to it and even unconsciously you know i remember thinking like okay well i celebrate Kylie, like in our relationship 1.0, all I want is her to be more powerful and to do all these things. Uh, but I also had to take responsibility for all the subtle ways I was actually using power or manipulating it uh, that I didn't even see, you know, and uh, not until after where I was just like left in this deep introspection due to grief. And it was like, oh, God, and then having conversations with her where I'm like, building my capacity for shame to hold things that were actually not my fault because I was taught them, but I had to take responsibility yeah. for. And I'm like, God, that's like the fucking hardest. Because you're like, <laughs> but I didn't even mean to. And it's yeah. like, but you still did it. And you're like, Ugh, yeah, but I, okay, I did. Okay, yeah. how do I change that? Mm -hmm. And to just like recognize that 
even in subtle ways, we can become the men we're warned about. And I think that could be true about uh, any any human. Um, because, gosh, the the real subtle ones are the actual trick. Overt, obvious physical, emotional abuse is explicit. and But, like, using power or money or language yeah. to yeah. suppress what is ultimately... You know, it's, it's like, yeah, I mean, it can be a look, it can be a sigh, it can be a word, it can be, I mean, the, the, the feminine is, is masculine as well, but in, in our own way, because we can't physically best you, we've gotten really good at, you know, psychological castration (laughs) with, with (laughs) our words. A lot of people can relate to. (laughs) I mean, we've had to, right. And and it's, it's, it's taught to us as women in TV and movies and even through our mothers and sisters and friends. Um, you know, that is the way that we get what we want is, is emasculation. And that's, that's a, a really, um, a really kind of cornerstone thing that I, uh, talk about with the women that I teach is like, really like, what is emasculation? And are you, you know, we don't just, you know, we don't just, um, kind of cut off emasculation because we, just want to be nicer to our partners. Yes, we do. But most women don't realize that when they are continually, chronically emasculating their partner, they're also cutting themselves off from the fire hose of love that every feminine essence wants to feel. She wants to feel ravaged and pushed up against a wall and kissed passionately. Well, if dude guy has been chronically emasculated for years. Do you think he's going to feel powerful enough to ravish you the way that you want or to just hold you in a moment where that's all you need? Of course not. And so, um, yeah, that's something that I talk about a lot with women because it is, it's the subtle, it's the subtleties, it's the sigh, it's the eye roll. It's the, like, you're not going to wear that. Are you like, you know, it's the little things. And, and we say often, do the little things like they are big things because in reality they they are big things you yeah, know massive. yeah the uh, that conversation of you know and Esther Perel talks about how like the me too movement is the calling down of the exploitation of power to get love and she talked about how we also need to talk about the exploitation of sex and sexuality to get power and love like they're both she called it the oldest trading system in the world. Mm. Yeah. And it's that's a, obviously a more delicate subject to navigate. One, because the world is delicate to navigate yeah. in general. And it also is like if that was the only way or one of the only ways that women could source power, then um, how do we talk about that with grace for that actually being the amount of exploitation that has occurred that that actually became the way that they had to get Mm -hmm. connection or safety or chosen, which ultimately the more powerful person historically you end up in relationship with, the more likely you're safe from dying. You get more resources. I mean, that's Mm. true of, of our unconscious desires. And when we can, it's, it, it requires true, like liberated love requires the recognition and healing of those things, but also the holding on to self at the cost of not using those things anymore. And how do you do that in a world of likes and fame for, you know, that will celebrate you socially with mm-hmm. followers and all the things, yeah. you know, recognizing my own and I'm, I'm imagine your own uh, propensity to fall into those habits, you know, and, and, and see like, how do I exploit power in any way? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's, it's a constant evaluation. Um, I think in this space, especially like putting ourselves out there, whether it's on a podcast or social media or whatever, um, constantly evaluating, like, what are my intentions here? Why do I want to do this post? Why do I want to do this story? And, and, and making sure that you are the one using it, not the, the power or the likes or the follows or the comments or whatever that it's using you, you know, I think that that's, uh, kind of an epidemic right now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it is. Well, the world is, you know, it's like, are you, if you silence yourself at the fear of being canceled, I mean, you really cancel yourself, you Mm -hmm. know, in a lot of ways and you end up with, you know, that's why we were talking about health and all the ways, like our relationship to our God or our spirituality, our relationship to food, our relationship to our bodies. Like if you're in toxic patterns relationally with self-abandonment, you're going to experience toxicity in your relationship to your body. You're going to experience health issues. Yeah. And you realize like how all of these are like oft- often start small, as you said, Chase, but like they get r- really big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you were saying to um, Mimi the, the like small moments too, right? Like it's it's – it is all these little micro behaviors that build into macro experiences and how your journeys, not just relationally with each other, but also also stepped into places of health because they had to. So I'm curious, uh, you know, what was sort of the awarenesses that you had there from a health perspective and what changes you had to make that made a dramatic impact on your health? Mm. Yeah, you know, so much of my perspective on health similar to my occupation similar to just other lanes in my life was this transactional relationship where i need i'm going to do xyz to get in return xyz and there's an expectation associated with that and so it was work out a set number of hours eat you know macros according to you know the workout plan that would work best for me um and that i would be given the ability to look good. That's kind of how my transactional relationship with eating and exercise looked. I think similarly, that was the case with, you know, my occupation. It was, I'm going to put in X amount of time and effort. That's the money that's going to come back to me. What we have realized through this, what I've especially realized, and and really it's like the foundation of our, our show is can we start to develop relationships with these things in our life? with our bodies, with our minds, with the earth, with each other, with other human beings, and remove the transactional expectations uh, in so many of these different avenues. So for me, you know, breakthroughs were, wow, I probably shouldn't work out every single day. That, that, especially getting into my late 20s and 30s, that is uber alpha. That is very masculine. That is very push. There is a counterbalance, this thing called, you know, the yin and the yang, this, this thing called masculinity and femininity isn't just for relationships. It's also for, for the way that you just experience life and especially when it comes to health. Okay. So it's rest. What does rest mean? What does that actually look like? I don't even know if I could have sat still for 15 minutes without, you know, stimuli at that point in time. But my nervous system, my hormones, they need that. They need that restoration. That's, that's anabolic. All the push is catabolic. And so for me, my, my hormones were tanked. There was just hardly anything left. And it was understanding the power of rest. It was understanding that 
nutrition wasn't just the nutrition label and that if I got my protein from any source, as long as it was protein, it was fine. Or my carbs from any source, it was as long as it was fine. It was understanding, you know, the importance of whole foods of seasonally rotating through different food groups and developing this relationship with nutrition, not this protocol, this, this agreed upon transaction where I have the thing about expectation is like when you attach an expectation to something in your life, especially health, but you could call it relationships as well. It's going to lead to disappointment. One, if you don't meet the expectation, you're going to be disappointed, right? Two, you're going to be so preoccupied with that future result, that very result driven expectation, whether that's the way you look, the way that you feel, the types of relationships that you have, how much money you have, that you're going to be pulled out of the space where the real magic is. And that's the present moment, right? That's where, that's where you find bliss. That's where you lose track of time and you feel like a child again. That's where you have those moments of, of awe, of ideation. And so when you're fixated upon an outcome or an expectation, you miss all of that. And so the reason I never loved and totally had this beautiful relationship with health and nutrition and exercise and was because I was so expectation driven. So even just like zooming all the way back out and there's all these practices from a, from a nutrition and exercise perspective that I implemented, but it was really getting back to the, to the foundation of like, I need to love this evolving, ever-changing relationship with my body before I even think about, you know, end results. Yeah, that makes so much sense that it's the journey, not this endless transaction to get to a destination. Yeah, I I resonate a lot with that. How about for you, Mimi? Yeah, I think um, one of the major themes, I mean, (laughs) kind of echoing everything that Chase just said, um, but just for the sake of the conversation and differentiating myself, um, mine, uh, a huge theme was curiosity, um, which I couldn't even use the word love at that point. I had basically convinced myself that I was unworthy of love based on how I left our marriage. Um, so it started with curiosity. Um, why? Okay. I, I hate that my skin is blowing up in acne, before I can fix it, I need to understand why. So adopting curiosity first, um, before I was even able to feel whatever self-love is, um, just really allowing myself and stepping into curiosity, uh, I think is like the gateway drug, <laughs> the gateway to developing real self love as self knowledge. Um, I, I usually, I don't really love the term self love because it's, you know, overused and under understood, but how I think about it now is, is self knowledge. I am understanding. I am knowing myself on a deeper level. When I do that, the only outcome is I feel more love that I already am. And so, you know, as it relates to, to our physical health, um, it was an awareness of a first stopping things that could be the issue. So a lot of times we say yes, you know, we agree to these social norms like drinking every single weekend, even though I didn't really like it. Um, I just did it because it was social. And so one of the huge, like, <sighs> this was a moment was when I was like, I'm not going to drink anymore. Like, I don't really like it. I don't feel good. And I don't think it's kind to my body that I'm trying to actively heal. So that was a a, a big moment for me physically and energetically because it was like, I'm going to stop doing the things that cause me pain. And then also I get angry about the pain that I'm causing myself. So that was a big moment. 
And just that, and we actually stopped drinking right around the same time. Like, obviously, we weren't even talking at at that point. We were separated. But it was a moment of, okay, I'm going to start taking care of myself or really asking myself the question, if I loved myself, because I don't right now, but if I did, how would I treat myself? And so then I started to make decisions from that place of whether it was food or movement. Okay, I'm going to stop working out eight days a week, doing, you know, endless hit routines. Maybe I'll just like walk and do yoga today. Like, I think that that would be kind to my body. Um, and, uh, that was really, that was the gateway was, was curiosity. And if I loved myself, how would I be treating myself? That, that awareness that when you left the relationship and I think you said how you left it, there was a belief that on some level, you are unlovable because of that. It's such an important message to relay to people that, because I learned that when I left a relationship at 27, that like in hindsight, that was actually the most loving thing I could do, not just for them, but also for me. And I think when people can see that, like sometimes loving someone is actually leaving, like it mm-hmm. is, and loving ourselves, you know, especially. And, and the gift that comes from it, it's so hard to see it when you're in it because you're like all the stories we've been taught about who you are because your relationship ends, as opposed to like all the beautiful stories we could be taught by elders about how your relationship ends. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Totally. Yeah. I, like I, such I totally a feel that. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel that. I'm curious how <laughs> that reintegration back into your families and, and just as, you know, seeing the world spiritually differently, relationally, um, you know, how they might have felt about each one of you separately or, or like from the other family mm-hmm. and how that, how they have received and even your Christian communities that you grew up with. Uh, I'm just curious about that experience of authenticity and then bumping up against belonging and, and what that's been like. Yeah. Yeah. I have nothing but gratitude for this reconciliation um, and and our extended family and, and the community that is still with us. <laughs> uh, nothing but gratitude for the support. For some, it was a little slower to um, accept. Um, and there were some relationships that when we split up and even just witnessed who we were when we were split up, they kind of put us at arm's length to a certain degree. Um, there was a lot of, you know, judgment and criticism. Even when we got back together at first, it, there was... There was definitely a group in, in our community. It's just Spokane's a small town and, and, um, you know, people, people know each other. People talk. Yeah. And so there was a group of people beautiful that, gossip. <laughs> beautiful. Yeah. Um, that's, that separated and we still, you know, hear chatter or whatever at this point, even three years into this. Um, but for the most part, our families, uh, it was an open arms, um, acceptance of part two. Um, and I think so much of that was because they saw the hell that we went through, um, individually and how much it hurt us. They saw us in other relationships. They saw our physical well being deteriorating. Mm -hmm. And even if there was some clunkiness and some stickiness, when we got back together, like, Holy shit, guys, this is really quick. You know, we kiss and then six months later, (laughs) Megan's living with me. Um, they saw the fruits of what we were creating and, and it has showed up like, and even as it pertains to the way that we view um, God now, 
Yeah. And this, this idea of, you know, we don't know <laughs> and, uh, that we're right. just figuring it out and that we're, we're, you know, leaning into love and, yeah. um, there is something greater than this physical existence in our opinion. Uh, but we're just going to keep leaning into it and honoring it and wondering. Yeah. And even that, which was again, ruffled some feathers in the conservative Christian environment that we came out of our life is an example of how it is not hurting anyone. It's definitely not hurting us. And our relationship is a thousand times as fruitful as it was when we were married. And so it is, it is tangible. Yeah. Imagine how, um, sorry, I was just going to say, imagine how, uh, imagine how that would be challenging to people who are in lifelong relationships with your old patterns. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. with your old ways of being who now see these two liberated lovers who are like, yeah. tell me more about how you feel yeah. my, my wife. Yeah. And they're yeah. like, wait, uh, wives don't have feelings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. It makes me think, I mean, yeah, you said it so beautifully. Um, it, it does, you know, make me think of something that I didn't realize we were doing, but now we looking back, we can now kind of teach on it or, or, um, just offer it as an invitation for people is to truly embody Whatever it is that you say you believe, whatever you, whatever it is that you say has changed your life, you don't need to convince people if your life is a reflection of your beliefs and it is healthy. It is good. (laughs) It is moving this way, right? If it is magnetic, if it is radiant, if it draws others into you and they have no idea why, you know, um, you don't necessarily need to convince or convert anyone to whatever it is that you believe. And that's sort of been what's so liberating coming out of the Christian church is, you know, we were taught that like, you do need to convince people, you do need to, and their afterlife depends on you doing this. <laughs> so it's like kind of heavy. Um, and moving out no of that, task. yeah, right. <laughs> to give a seven year old, um, yeah. you know, it's so liberating. It's so freeing to be like, Oh, I only have to worry about me. That's not to say I don't show love to other people. That's not to say that I don't have a massive uh, mission and I spread my love to other people. It's not that at all. It's knowing that, oh, only I can change me. Like only I need to worry about me and how I respond to things and, and my earth lessons, whatever you want to call it. I don't have to convince or convert anyone else. It's so liberating and Taking that approach really invites you into a space of real, true embodiment. Yeah. And that is the best way to convince anyone. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be super curious uh, as to what you would say to this, Mark. We get this often with, with listeners and people we work with, which is, hey, my partner isn't interested in this kind of stuff. They're not interested in the work. How do I convince them? How do I motivate them to, to do this work with me? And usually we respond with this very answer like, embody it show that it is working and showing up for you before you use your words it's really tough we all get these you know we read a book that's blowing our mind and we're like oh my god i gotta tell freaking everybody it's like really from a good place but that is threatening especially like to the masculine kind of like what we talked about there's this fear there's this threat from change or evolution um and so i you know what do you tell people when you get that question We're, we're we're you know usually saying embody it if they love you unconditionally, they will be drawn to it in some way, shape, or form. 
If they're not, it's a sign of codependency and that they may just like the label that you hold and not necessarily your, your whole self. So yeah, I'd be curious what, what you usually say there. Yeah. I mean, I echo your sentiments on that. I think the challenge is, is the codependent aspect of the former relational dynamic that has us like desperately seeking ourselves and wanting to liberate ourselves and realizing that if the relationship itself is not a container that celebrates liberation, the relationship has to change or it has to die. And as you said, like embodying it, I think inviting them to the journey, like, Hey, I'm learning these things. It's really incredible. Yeah. Do you want to learn some of it too? Or bringing the behaviors, as you said, embodiment, bringing the behaviors to the relational dynamic. All of a sudden you're in a conflict and you all of a sudden handle defensiveness differently or criticism. You restructure your language. The pattern of the relationship has to change. The caveat to that I'll sort of add is that often there's a sort of counter move that evolves by the other person because they don't trust the new way of being. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you know, we have to, I was listening to John Gottman the other day on a saved piece that I had from like 2010 that he did. It was saved on my YouTube watch later. And I was like, oh, it's one minute. I'll watch that. And he said, like, relationships that are really toxic can actually benefit from the departure. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's the hard part is like, we get to these places where I, I'm sure you get asked all the time, it, how do I know if I stay or go? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I always ask myself when I was in the spaces before we broke up, I would ask myself, is there more to learn here? Mm. And is staying requiring my expansion and more tools than I currently have mm-hmm. or is leaving? Mm. And I got the answer that I needed till I needed to leave. And, and that question I asked myself a lot on the whole journey because, and I ask myself that all the time, if I get an offer to do something and I'm like, do I not want to do it because I don't want to, or do I not want to do it because it requires an, a greater version of me? Yeah. And I mean, some of the, if your partner doesn't, if, who witnesses your embodiment and then all of a sudden, you know, steps up and wants to also pursue that, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And they're also going to start individuating too, which that can be terrifying. But if they witness it all and they just want to keep doing the same thing, you can't convince people to change, as you said. Yeah. You just have to invite them. And mm-hmm. trying to convince them is just more overfunctioning, more yeah. anxious attachment, more codependency. It's like trust them to adult. Mm-hmm. Trust that they can hold yeah. the truth. Yeah. You know, and that's hard, man. That's the hardest work. It's, it's hard like, yeah. from I, relationships that don't. Yeah. I, I would add to the embodiment, the invitation. Um is, you know, right at the beginning, right at the cusp, like we get these feelings sometimes, usually when we're talking about relationships, usually it's the woman who's wanting to start some sort of work, right? Like, I forget the stat, I think it's from John Wineland. He's like, it's 90% of women that I, you know, talk to who are the ones that like, hey, I'm not getting the full experience of love that I want. So I'm going to start this podcast or this book or this program course, whatever. And I think when you're on the cusp of that and you can tell like, this is going to be powerful. I think something else that can be done that sometimes isn't is just asking, like if this is the feminine, you know, to the masculine or vice versa, just asking your partner for support, not expecting that they are going to come along knowing that if they do great, that's icing on the cake. But I think from the beginning, making it very clear to your partner, 
like, oh my gosh, I'm reading this new book and it's lighting me up. It's just, I'm so, it's just turning on so many light bulbs and uh, I, I, I'm loving it. Um, I would just love from you if I just knew that you were in support of this or if we could just like talk about it from time to time. If I could yeah. just share with you what I'm learning, oh, that would fill me up. That would just make me feel so good. And if the man, if the masculine knows that like all I have to do is like just be an ear and listen to what she's doing. I can provide that. And so it's almost like empowering for the man. And then the woman or, or the partner is, you know, she's getting what she needs, which is in that moment, just support and not, not expecting your partner to need to learn all of the lessons exactly when and how you are learning them because you're, you have two different, completely different paths. So I think support is, is something that it, it feels like you are taking a step in the right direction and making it, you know, it's just crystal clear communication, which is never the wrong answer. Which is never the wrong answer. It's, you know, like no matter the gender construct, the, yeah, usually we have roles of feminine, that more feminine, that more masculine. And I know that language can get sort of conflicting for people, but that's what we're not, you know, it can be any construct. Totally. So usually yeah. one takes on more the role of being the emotional barometer and the other one being more the like recluse avoidant kind of uh, less emotionally fluent maybe, or desires less emotional conversation. The, the thing when I sort of woke up to codependency was I recognize that a lot of people, because I experienced it, sort of resent the partner that they're in a codependent dynamic, not realizing like, oh, I'm actually part of this. Yeah, like, right. it. like, fuck you for doing this. You suppressed my voice, not realizing yeah. that it's a Totally. Mutual. Yeah. Well, I'm curious for people, where can they find more of you? Well, first off, thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for like yeah. living so wide open. Thanks for offering so many insights and and just awesome tips and all the things like just through your own experience and giving permission to people no matter where they're in. And, uh, yeah. So where can people get more of these juicy stories and details and, and tips and all that stuff? Yeah. Well, you can go to our website, themedicine.com and medicine is spelled without an E on the end. So the medicine, M E D I C I N right away, you know, it's a different type of medicine that we're talking about. Um, and then we have our podcast. So that's our pride and joy. That's our baby. <laughs> um, and it's the medicine podcast. You can listen wherever podcasts are spewing. Um, <laughs> yeah. and then also my Instagram, I do, I hang out there a lot and I, I do a lot of education, um, there, you know, mushrooms and, relationships, all the, the wonderful things. And my handle is Mimi underscore the medicine. And you can find me on Instagram as well. Uh, the underscore chasen underscore one. And uh, yeah, I love engaging with anybody and Letter everybody. Or number? Uh, letters. Letters. Yeah. The chasen one. The chasen one. And um, yeah, we, we love, uh, you know, talking to our community and, and, and you know, going back and forth with people who hit us up on Instagram. Uh, and we actually, uh, we have a, a medicinal mushroom supplement. It's called AHCC. It's like a one-of-a-kind mushroom product, which is incredible and super exciting, you know, depending on when this drops. Uh, this summer, roughly early summer, we are, we've been formulating a, a mushroom latte. It's called Mushy Love Latte. Oh, wow. uh, and it's insanely delicious, caffeine-free, super clean. And so we're really excited to get that project going yeah. uh, this summer. It's a perfect little capsule of everything we're about medicinal mushrooms and a little extra love yeah well got we, we need to send you a sample yeah we'll, we'll hook you up 
Yeah, I would love to try that out. That sounds delicious. It is. And uh, expansive. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, it's well, like beautiful. a liquid cinnamon roll. Oh, Lord. Yeah, I want that. <laughs> um, okay, so we'll put all these links in the show notes. Everybody listening, thank you. And much love. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love. Thank you.